Let me read these final few verses in the book of Philippians, chapter one. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted. For Christ's sake, literally on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake on behalf of Christ, having the same struggle which you saw in me. And now here to be in me. Amen. I've checked it, and this is twenty-ninth sermon on the Book of Philippians. It took us seven months to reach the end of chapter one, and. At the time when I began, I didn't know how fast I would go, whether I would stop at the end of chapter one or not. But I intend to go on. This really is an easy introduction to Christian faith in many ways, and second half of first chapter really has worked in my own heart. Finding peace in God. So let me begin today from the last verse, verse thirty. Let me begin from there. He says, "Having the same struggle, which you saw in me, and now here to be in me, and there are three things that are happening." Who's having the struggle? When you read it carefully, it is the Philippians, Philippian church. They are having the same struggle. So we could say, first of all, people say Philippians is the, is an epistle of joy. It is really a perfect church, doctrinally pure. Not much really is going on. Yes, there are some divisions maybe in the church, but this is a thank you note. And one thing that they were missing was joy. But according to Apostle Paul, Philippian church is going through the struggle too. So having the same struggle. Let me explain that word "struggle." Struggle is a weak word to to convey the meaning of that language, and that language, when you look it up, it is the word that we get the English word "agony." So in Greek, it's the word "agon," and that word describes sports or gladiators in that Roman arena. Public spectacle. Later on, the same word will describe 
Christians dying in the same arena. Aegon. Struggle. So, Philippian church, they have their own problems. Which you saw in me. In the past, the Philippian church saw the same Aegon in Paul's life. Remember Acts 16, the way in which the Philippian church began was through the suffering of Paul and Silas, the team. So from the inception of the church, Philippian Christians were familiar with the suffering because they saw it in Paul. But now they are having the same struggle. And Paul says, and now you here to be in me. The same struggle binds them all. Binds them from the past to the present. Binds them between the pastor and the Philippian congregation. What is Aegon? Let me give you a few observations from this text. First of all, let me address spiritual fathers and mothers in this place. The older generation. You don't have to be necessarily older than someone, but spiritually mature. Did you notice what Paul said by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? He said, the Philippian church, they are having the same Aegon. But are they? Paul is in prison. The Philippian church Christians are not. But I've noticed that Paul is calling the struggle that they are having as the same struggle that you saw in me. What does that mean? What that means is this. Practically speaking, let us not disdain younger people's problems. Paul does not say, compared to what I am going through in this prison, you guys are having it easy. That's not a suffering. This is suffering. He does not say. He says, you are having the same struggle that you saw in me. We need to take their problems, issues, seriously. But we all know all the generations were really, you know, they grew up tough. So from their perspective, what younger generation is going through is always really childish. I was taught by the couple of pastors, Korean pastors. Both of them passed away but they came from north. When you listen to their stories, I am not going to talk about it today. I mean, this is something that you will only hear from the movies. So for them, these younger pastors, what they are going through, really, it, it does not make sense to them. The struggles that they are having, from their perspective, is really not a struggle. 
You say to your children, when I was your age, I say that too. My favorite refrain is, when I was in Texas, when I was in this country, when I was your age. So let us not do that, is my point. For younger generation, you shouldn't be flattered either. What Paul is doing is really a pastoral way of saying, look at me. Look how I am persevering in the prison. That's how you should persevere. That's what he's conveying through the word. The same struggle. They are not the same. Maybe the same kind, but different degree of suffering. But let us identify with those. 1920s, the struggle was between liberalism and orthodoxy for Christians. This day and age, maybe it looks like sexual identity. But the issue is the same, the lordship of Christ, the authority of the scriptures, and so on. Second observation from this text is this. Paul, his life was fine before he became a Christian. As you know, he was taught by Gamaliel. He was a very jealous young man, successful young man with big future ahead of him. But when he met Christ on that Damascus road in Acts 9, everything, humanly speaking, went down here. Never-ending misery for him. Never-ending misery. Only thing that he could have done to stop all the miseries in his life was to stop serving Christ. Simple as that. You stop, then all the pains and sufferings and headaches, heartaches will stop. But he will not. But for most Christians, I'm addressing Christians, when you are suffering explicitly for Christ and Christian matter, but also for implicitly standing up for some truth of God, or even in generally speaking, it's one thing to suffer for a short period of, t- period of time. But it is a, another matter if you are suffering all the time. What Paul is saying is, I've suffered a long time ago, and I am still suffering. You are suffering. Everybody's suffering. But, but the suffering didn't break him. Non-stop suffering breaks people, Christians. Because we ask this question, why? Two questions here. If God loves Paul, why this? So the conclusion is, God does not love Paul. Second question he might ask is, if God is with Paul, then why this? So, conclusion people draw, someone may draw, is that God has abandoned him. So, we have this worldview. Many Christians, we have this worldview. I'm not even going to call it a theology. But this worldview that says bad things mean, that means curse of God. Good things, it indicates blessings of God. Correct? That dichotomy. Good things, blessings from God, God's love for me, God's presence with me. 
bad things. God does not love me. God left me. That dichotomy. Let's call that. Let's give it a name so that you don't forget. That theology is casino theology. You will never win. The house will always win. That theology will all theology will always crush you. I believe so many young people leaving the church is not apart from the conversion or regeneration that we cannot control. Really has to do with this. They don't have robust theology, but they have this worldview that is casino theology. Good things, God's favor and love and presence. Bad things, God's hatred, maybe not hatred, but God left me. God doesn't care about me. In that casino theology, if you just live long enough, you are bound to lose. You grow older and you realize there are a lot more bad things in the world than good things. So by the time you reach 1920, you figured it out. If God is alive, if God loves me, I don't expect 9 out of 10. But at least a couple of good things should have happened to me. But constantly, nonstop, bad things happen. And if your life was, you know, blessed, blessed with good things in your life, then that's okay. But you have sin. I have sin. So many people struggle from their birth to certain age. And we sympathize with that. We need to destroy that casino theology by listening to God's word. If you look at chapter 1, he's in prison, but we could guess his emotional, spiritual state by tracing some of the words. And you don't have to look it up, but you know it already because we went through it. Let me just give you a few words. He says in Philippians 1-3, I thank my God. If you could thank God, you are not depressed. You cannot be depressed. He says, I am confident of this very thing. He's confident. Verse 7, I have you, Philippians, in my heart. He has time and energy to love someone else. Verse 8, I love you with the affection of Christ. In this I rejoice, and yes, I will rejoice. I know this will turn out for my deliverance or salvation according to my eager expectation and hope. He has expectation and hope in the prison. So those words will tell us, that they tell us, Paul is not at all broken by nonstop suffering in his life. What, co- what causes that? This is very important. How can he go on? Casino theology will say, I mean, I had it enough. But Paul's theology, gospel theology will say, let me give you a conclusion. I will say this. Outside circumstances, current situations, events, news have nothing to do with the love of God for you. How can this be possible? How can that be possible for me in my life? 
the key, the, the reason why he is not fluctuating in his life, in his spiritual life. He could say, I thank, confident, rejoice, will be delivered, expect, hope, all of those things. Deep inside is that one key. That is, he is convinced that God's love for him is secure. That's the key. Casino theology is really saying God does not love you. That was true in the garden. God withheld these good things from you guys, Eve, Eve and, and, and Adam. God does not love you. Casino theology is the same, saying the same thing. How can God allow this to happen to you nonstop? Let me give you Romans 8. I've been trying to trace that reason. And the reason is this. Paul, when you think about Paul, what comes to your mind? For me, Paul is someone who's strong. Bunny, Energizer Bunny. He never stops, he just keeps on going. But his battery, the Energizer battery, is love of God that he fears and he knows. We know he's an apostle of predestination. But we don't think of Paul as kind of loving guy. But deep inside, the secret soul, secret energy that he is feeling it inside of him is God's love for him. He has never gotten over it. That's why. Listen to Romans 8. And if you have Bibles, mark this. Go home and read it again. Romans 8, 37. You know the separation part? Listen to this. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors because of his love for us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, principalities, and here is the big word, which I have not noticed until now, <coughs> nor Things present. If your, future, if your past was bad, but if you, uh, present is good, you could endure. If it was bad and still bad, then you may break. But according to the apostle, he says, nor things present. We always look at the death, life, angels, demons. But here it is. No things present, no things to come, no powers, height, height, depth, no any other created thing will be able to separate us from what? Will be able to separate, separate us from God? That, that's not what he says. Separate us from the love of God. Where is it? which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You need to read that very, very slowly and carefully. He's not saying in vague sense, I don't want to be separated from God. Nothing will separate me from the love of God. Past, present, future, doesn't matter. Nothing will separate me from what? Not simply God. God is there. I like God. I love God. No. Love of God. His love. Where is it? This is very important. Love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the key. 
What that is saying is, love of God is hidden, proven, and is authored in Christ. Casino theology always wants to validate the love of God for the things present or past or future, blessings. This proves God's love, but for according to the biblical theology that will destroy casino theology, nothing will separate me, apostle, from the love of God. Where is it? God does not have to prove his love to me by these things, because his love for me is in Christ Jesus. Where is that X mark? In Christ Jesus. This is a very simple yet fundamental stuff here. God cannot love his son more. And when God offers you his son, Jesus Christ, he is offering you his maximum love for you. He cannot improve. He cannot increase his love more than that. Because the full object of God's love is Christ. If he increases his love, he changes. Therefore, he cannot be God. So in his pericoresis, God loves the Son like himself. So when God offers us Jesus Christ, but we say we are bored with that. What we say is, I know that. I had it enough, but I really want this, this thing in my life. Whether it's a good thing, bad thing, whatever it is. But the key for, our, for this apostle, for him to say, I think, I'm confident, I love you with the affection of Christ, I rejoice, all of that deep inside is because he is secure in God's love for him. Isn't it true? Once you doubt God's love for you, everything will fall apart. Your Christian life is done, actually, when you doubt that. So the only thing that Satan has to drive you is to the point where you ask and doubt his love for you. As Christians, we all believe God exists. That's not a question. That's not the question. Sunday school students, when they, we, so many youth pastors, we, we raise them, they know. But what they doubt is that God is loving them. God loves them. If you look at all this, I'm going to skip this. So many passages, Paul will talk about love of God. Love of God. Love of God. That is driving him. So even if he's in prison, what is God doing? God has never let me go. That's why he could endure. That does not depend on anything. And the cross is enough for him. And that's where we should get to. That's where we need to grow up to be. That will destroy this false theology. Because it's time I'm going to skip to the second part. That will update our sola gratia. Theology. Look at verse 29. 
five solas. This is Reformation Sunday. Five solas. One of them, probably the chief one, would be by grace alone. We know grace alone. Salvation is in Christ alone, by grace of God alone, through faith in Christ Jesus alone, based upon the Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. All this sola, sola, solas. But let me talk about sola gratia, by grace alone. If you look at verse 29, there's an interesting word that I had to look up. That word is granted. Everything depends on this word, that word. For to you, believers, Philippians, it has been granted. Granted? I, have to, I had to look it up. Granted? What do you mean? The word is this. Charis somai. Charis. My daughter's name is Charis, based upon the word charis, Greek word charis. Charis means gift, charisma, gift. Charismata is gracious gift. Gifts are gracious in that the person does not have to give you anything, but it's a gift. So this word granted really means it has been given to you graciously or for free as a gift. What is shocking about that is what he says afterwards. For Christ's sake, on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him. That's sola gratia in normal sense. If I ask you what's sola gratia, you will say salvation is by grace. What do you mean exactly? That God has given me faith as gift of God so by that faith, which is from God, I believe in Christ. That's salvation, right? But that same granting, gifting, includes not only, but also to suffer for his sake. We need to update our sola gratia with the second half. Most of us will simply say, it is by grace alone. Praise God. But what he's saying is, by the same grace, God has granted you not only to believe in him, that's sola gratia, but update with the second part is to, that also to suffer for his sake. He's not introducing works, like you must suffer before you enter into the kingdom of God. What he's saying is, if you have the gift of faith, by the nature of the case, trying to live out that faith, you will be persecuted actively, but also implicitly. Living in this fallen world, many bad things may happen to you. So we need that second part to update our sola gratia. The, one theologian says this, suffering on behalf of Christ just as much as believing in Christ is a gift of God's grace. It was shocking. So question is then, the final question is this, then is God saying to us, your suffering is my gift and enjoy. Enjoy my gift to you. 
I know it's hard, but it's my gift, so deal with it. Is that what he's saying? I think implicitly we need to go one step farther, like what Calvin was saying on this verse. Here, Paul clearly testifies that faith, as well as constancy in enduring persecutions, is an unmerited gift of God. What Paul, what Calvin is saying is, it's not simply that God is giving you a lot of gifts of suffering so you could suffer and enjoy your suffering. But what God is saying is, God has given you the gift of belief in Him, but also with the same grace. When you suffer, God gives enough grace so that you could endure. In that suffering, that too is from God. That too, endurance, is also the gift of God. But that suffering is for Christ's sake. In that it has meaning. All for the glory of God. God's grace gives both the ability to believe in Christ and the ability to suffer and endure for Christ. But in believing and suffering, Christ is the source and the center and the end, the purpose. May God give you such grace to endure, to finish the race for his glory. Let us pray.